Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hello? I'm calling to share two things with you. Okay. First, a fun fact that 30 years ago this week, Alex Trebek became the first person to host three American game shows at the same time. Oh, that's so sweet. That was Jeopardy, Classic Concentration, and a show called To Tell the Truth. Yes, those are good shows. The other thing that I was calling to tell you is... On this week's episode of 30 Pop, there may be some language that you don't love. Uh-oh. So, Who's going to be on there? It's my friend Nate Williams, oh. and he gets okay. pretty heated in a couple of moments, and so I just wanted you to be prepared for that. Okay, I'll have to put him on the prayer list with Aaron. Okay. But maybe you need a different group of friends. No, I think they're the right friends. I just wanted you to have a okay. heads up and listeners to have a heads up. Or you can believe them. How about believing them? We'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. Well, I wish you the best of luck on that. All right. I love you, Mom. I'll talk to you soon. Love you. See you later. Bye-bye. From Mill Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Broner. This is Season 3, Episode 6, Bastion, Sandler, Roberts, and Kevorkian. Today, we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, February 9th, 1991. Welcome, friends and neighbors, to another episode of 30 Pop. It is unbelievable to me that we are already into the second week of February 2021 and our weekly review of the pop culture landscape from 1991, the year that introduced us to the music of Pearl Jam, Tupac, Boys to Men, The Smashing Pumpkins, and Alanis Morissette, among others, none of whom were quite on top just yet. Although we did see an almost entirely new lineup of chart toppers this week in 1991, The only exception being, predictably, with regard to the number one album in the country for the 14th consecutive week in a 16-week run, Vanilla Ice's seven times platinum-selling major label debut to the extreme. I'd honestly spend a lot more time on this record if there were more than one or maybe two good songs, but outside the one really massive single for which it's known, it has not aged well. I suppose, from time to time, critics really know what they're talking about. Speaking of one or two or less than five hit wonders, the number one song on the Hot 100 chart 30 years ago this week belonged to American dance music group CNC Music Factory. Gonna make you sweat, everybody dance now. ironic that what I would guess to be at least 99% of those who reminisce on this song only really remember the group's two most visible but arguably least important members. 
rapper Freedom Williams, and singer, or in this case lip-synker, Zelma Davis, each of whom were technically part of the group, but only peripherally. Neither of them are represented by the C and C. Those belong to longtime musical collaborators David Cole and Robert Clavellas, who had already been performing and producing music together for years by the time this single hit. They'd collaborated on a number of musical projects prior to forming CNC Music Factory, and their co-production credits include the likes of artists like James Brown, Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, and Mariah Carey. In fact, Mariah's later single, One Sweet Day, featuring one of my favorite groups of all time, Boys to Men, was written about CNC Music Factory's David Cole after his tragic passing in January of 1995. I don't know if it's just nostalgia or the fact that this episode is releasing on the one-year anniversary of the loss of my dearest friend, but that song definitely just gave me chills for the first time in like two decades and will almost certainly be on repeat for me for the foreseeable future. It also makes me very excited about continuing this show over the next few years as we move deeper into my teenage nostalgia. God, I love the 90s. But I digress. There was other, far inferior music topping some of our other Billboard charts this week in 1991. Most notably, or perhaps least notably, was in Vogue's utterly forgettable You Don't Have to Worry at number one on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart, and legendary rap duo EPMD's almost unintelligible gold digger at the top of the hot rap chart. All due respect to each of these phenomenally successful acts, these two songs were not great. The number one song on the hot country chart this week was the second single off singer Mark Chestnut's debut album Too Cold at Home. His 1990 cover of Keith Whitley's 1989 cover of Don Everly's 1977 recording of the Paul Craft written tune, Brother Jukebox. Brother Jukebox, Sister Wine, Brother Freedom, Father Time, since she left me by myself. You're the only family I've got to You're the only I've got I don't remember caring one way or another about this song 30 years ago, although it would probably be safest to assume that I was not a fan. That being said, for the second straight week, I find myself feeling all the nostalgic feelings from a number one country tune. My dad would be as proud as my 11-year-old self would be embarrassed knowing that. The only other music news from this week in 1991 was that of legendary British rock and roll band Queen releasing their 14th studio album, Innuendo, which was received well enough at the time, but which has in subsequent years achieved masterpiece status in the hearts and minds of most critics and fans, likely because of the fact that it was the band's final release while lead singer Freddie Mercury was still alive. Whatever the reason may be, people liked it then and love it now. In Hollywood this week, we saw a number of new films hit theaters, most of which were exceptionally bad, although not all of them. It's truly remarkable to me the number of bad movies that we've already seen in theaters in our review of just these first few weeks of 1991. 
and the list grows ever worse today, starting with a sequel that, similar to its three predecessors, should have absolutely never been greenlit by producers. American Ninja 4, The Annihilation. Prepare yourself for lots of fight sounds. We only have a few days before the media gets a hold of this. Then all hell will break loose. Michael Dudikoff. David Bradley. Together, for the first time, American Ninja 4, The Annihilation. When the enemy is ruthless. This is not a game. Those were ninja. Merciless. Cut the slime down like Doug, you understand? And holds the world hostage. It has enough power to blow New York off the face of the earth. It takes more than courage. I got a bad feeling about this, Sean. You need the power of an American ninja. If you can get us to the Dragon Fort, you may have a chance. Twice the speed. Twice the skill. Four times as deadly. Michael Dudikoff, David Bradley, American Ninja 4, The Annihilation. I mean, honestly, what can I even say about that? It feels like a parody unto itself, the accidental butt of its own joke. Not entirely dissimilar to another sequel that released this week in 1991, although at least this sequel had an excellent original to follow. Now is the time to revisit the land of the never-ending story for an all-new adventure, where a young boy returns to a wondrous world on the wings of his own imagination, the world of Falcor. Boy, am I glad to see you. The Rockbiter. Meet Junior. It's Yum Yum Rocky. The brave Atreyu. I'm glad you came back to Fantasia. And the childlike Empress. You have found the only wish powerful enough to save us, Bastion. exciting fantasy of all in the continuing adventure of the never-ending story to the next chapter. The film brought an almost entirely new cast to the story, which was originally intended to be the second part of a trilogy based on its namesake novel, because the original cast had all aged out of their roles. New to the role of Bastion, the story's main character, was the rising but still relatively unknown Jonathan Brandis, who was actually nominated for a Young Artist Award and a Saturn Award for his performance in this otherwise critically irredeemable sequel. Also new in theaters this week in 1991 was this Steve Martin satirical rom-com about a weatherman trying to find love in Los Angeles. L.A. Story. Uh, rather than do an interview with me, which would be fascinating, by the way, I thought that possibly I'd take you on a, you know, kind of a cultural tour of L.A. How he's painted the blouse, sort of translucent. You can just make out her breast underneath it. You know, when I see a painting like this, I must admit I get a little emotionally erect. Una petite. See, I'm done already, and I don't remember reading. What's his girlfriend's name? 
Sheila, Sheila, Sheila. She's the one who's always kissing everyone hello. I hate that. I'm not kissing anyone hello anymore. <laughs> How was I in the meeting? You were good. Any advice? Sure. Skipping. Skipping is the perfect compromise between running and walking. It looks too desperate if you run to a meeting. What, she's seeing someone else? Yes, yes, she's going away with it. So go away with me. I can't, don't you see? I would just be using you to get even with her for going away with someone else. I don't mind. Let's go. Great. Steve Martin. Did you know that the same technology used to clean up the Alaskan oil spill can also suck fat from your thighs and chin? L.A. Story. I'll have a decaf coffee. I'll have a decaf espresso. I'll have a double decaf cappuccino. Jimmy decaffeinated coffee ice cream. I'll have a half double decaffeinated half cap with a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. Yeah, I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. This film paired Steve Martin with his wife at the time, Victoria Tennant, and featured cameos from Chevy Chase, Woody Harrelson, Paula Abdul, Martin Lawrence, Rick Moranis, John Lithgow, and Scott Bakula, all of whom were massive names at the time. It was well-received and is well-remembered by critics and rom-com fans alike, grossing nearly $30 million worldwide to date. But it couldn't quite compete with the film at the top of the box office this week in 1991, also new in theaters, Julia Roberts' career-expanding psychological thriller, Sleeping with the Enemy. She is a stranger in a small town. What's your name? Where are you from? My questions. Days when the rains came. Is this what they mean by a warm welcome? Ah, oh, a heart sick down bending you. A bright-eyed girl. Behind her smile. What is it with you? Is a secret. Behind her laughter is fear. Wow! I'm sorry. Behind her happiness... Are you okay? I'm gonna be. ...is a past she can never forget. I had a husband. He hurt me. She was the only thing I ever loved. I guess I'm just really afraid. She changed her name. Six months ago, your wife removed her mother from this institution. Look, there's obviously some mistake. My wife drowned. I left him, Mom. She changed her looks. What are you doing here? Waiting for you. I want this taken very seriously. She's looking for you. She changed her life. If you need any help, I'm here. Is she with someone? I don't know where. Thank The woman she used to be is dead. Are you okay? Saying goodbye to old ghosts, you know. But the man who always wanted her... Where does she hunt? ...still wants her back. I know your every thought, Laura. <laughs> Nothing could keep me away. I can't live without you. And I won't let you live without me. Julia Roberts is sleeping with the enemy. It's been years since I've seen this movie, but from what I remember, it was excellent. And it must have been, as it made around $175 million back on an estimated budget of $19 million. It also served to further highlight Julia Roberts' tremendous range as an actor and continue her journey to becoming one of Hollywood's most sought-after talents and most thoroughly likable people. We had a few other pop culture headlines 30 years ago this week as well in television, sports, and news, but I thought it'd be best to talk about all of them with my dear friend and regular 30 Pop co-host, Nate Williams. We hopped on a Zoom call a few days back, and it went something like this.
Nate Williams, it's been so long. Welcome back to 30 Pop. Luke, it's finally here, man. I've been itching for this day, and I'm glad that we've we've made it to this moment in history. You know, it's amazing that you and I don't get to do this more often because you're like a neighbor. Like, you live like a couple of miles away, and you would <laughs> right. be the easiest person for me to do this with, and I've seen you once since this whole pandemic started. Yeah, it's terrible. I'm just, I mean, I have such a fantastic job, but my schedule's not regular, so it's hard to really plan ahead with this stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. So anyway, I'm so happy to be on Zoom with you now, if that's the best we can do, to look back at a bunch of our headlines from this week in 1991, which this is your first time talking 1991. Can you believe we're in a whole new year? It's incredible. And you know what's really fantastic, Luke, is in two weeks here will be uh, 91's the year of my wife's birth. So in two oh, weeks, wow, we can celebrate that <sighs> Kathleen Schlomer Williams finally exists. We're also two weeks away from the two-year anniversary of this show, which is maybe even oh, that's a, incredible, a man. bigger holiday. I don't, I don't want to say that. Yeah, well, and it, as I said, as much time as I find that I can't like get to do these things, it's very easy to listen to this every week. And it's like I look forward to doing it on my way to work. Generally, Wednesday mornings, and I finish it Wednesday afternoon. Nice. I appreciate it. Then you know that last week was our 100th episode, and now this I do week know we that. are on number 101. And we've got a bunch of headlines, and I just thought it'd be fun to kind of bring you on to talk about all the different headlines. We've got some sports news, some news news, some entertainment news, and I'm just going to invite you into all of it. All right. So we're going to start with... February 5th, 1991. This is something that you care about that I don't. I'm going to let you tell me why. The Big East Football Conference was formed. <laughs> why does it so, matter? In, in 1991, this doesn't matter to me in the least, Luke. Oh, okay. I, I don't care about this. I don't understand conference affiliation, but it's something that as my life has progressed, I just get more and more worked up about. And the Big East is kind of the catalyst of my most recent emotional eruptions over these things because I went to the University of Houston, which is in one of the less respected conferences of the American Athletic Conference. Okay. And so when we were in even a more inferior conference, we were finally admitted to the Big East and we were it. We made the big times like it's an embarrassing amount of elation that I felt that my school was finally going to be considered in one of the power conferences. And then very promptly, two months later, the whole thing dissolved and the Big East more or less fell apart because of football. So back in 91, when they created the Big East Football Conference, they took a lot of mainly basketball schools and decided there were going to be some footballs too. But they just never cared about football the same as, you know, the SEC or the Big 12 or at the time, the Southwestern Conference or any of those. So they were trying to create something which, again, in 91, not that big a deal conference affiliation. But it was like the first domino to fall to the pile of horse manure that we still live in today in 2021. So, okay. So I'm sure you would assume this about me, but I don't know anything about all this. We actually did an episode a couple of years ago on another podcast that I used to host called Diego Sports, where my lifelong best friend, the other Nathan, Nathan Schartz, explained mm -hmm. all of this stuff to me. But it's been way too long now. I don't remember any of it. So tell me who was in the Big East when this mattered? Who was it that made you excited to be a part of the Big East? Well, when the University of Houston finally got admitted to the Big East, it wasn't necessarily about the matchups because it's not like I actually cared about playing West Virginia or anything like that. It was finally like we got to say that we were sitting at the big kids table. So for mm -hmm. so long, University of Houston athletics is kind of, well, for so long since 97, we have sat at the the children's table and we just kind of get thrown scraps and people tell us that we need to be happy with what we have. 
And I am absolutely not happy with it because when we do good, I'm sorry, I'm starting to get worked up. I, I said, this stuff I starts it. flowing from me. When we do really good and people will be like, yeah, they did fine, but who do they actually play? They only play these other piddling schools. Well, yeah, we only play these other fucking piddling schools because that's the only schools you allow us to play. We're not allowed to play against the Texas A&Ms and the UTs. And so we don't get the respect, but it's not because we don't want to. We want to do that. But they're like, nah, nah, nah. You're not allowed to actually be friends with us. Go hang out over there. And it's just infuriating. So there's this whole like cartel. It's a social... cartel. <laughs> I told you, this, this drives me crazy. I love it. It's a caste system. Go back to world history and you learn about India and their civilization. And that's what we and have. Y'all are the un- uh, U of H is the untouchables. Not quite. No, no, no. That's like Rice and Sam Houston. <laughs> Fortunately, we're not the absolute bottom of the barrel. We're, we're just the, the crap that's floating on top of the bottom of the barrel. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so 91, though, you didn't care. Do you have any idea who was a part of that conference when it was formed? Yeah, a lot of the, uh, I don't know if you know, the New York basketball schools, the St. John, St. Joseph's, like I said, West Virginia, back at this time, Florida State was a part of it. West Virginia, they weren't in the ACC yet. I know I'm just throwing out acronyms in schools that you probably don't know or care about, which is pretty much part of it. Syracuse was in the Big East. That was like a big name school. Like I said, it was mainly formed for basketball, but they're like, eh, we'll do some football too, which Hmm. again, at, at the time in 91 is right as Florida State is coming to national prominence. And they have a, a, or no, they're in the middle of it there. That's when Miami's come. So Florida State like brought the credibility for football, and then Syracuse and the New York schools brought the credibility on basketball. Okay, yeah, um, I'm never going to remember any of that. And there's I'm glad zero it was significant. Reason. Yeah, I'm glad it was significant for you at some moment in your life. Right. So another thing that happened, we're going to shift gears. Another thing that happened also on February 5th, 1991, was a Michigan court barred Dr. Jack Kevorkian from assisting in suicides. Yes. Why this needed to be a court-ordered thing is beyond me. But I remember all of this talk around Dr. Kevorkian. Remember that name, Dr. Kevorkian? Right. That. What do you remember about Dr. Kevorkian? Well, this was – it's funny, I and you can totally edit this part out, but you were talking earlier before we started about your first kind of exposure to death. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'd never really lost a family member or friends or any of that, but the idea of – somebody wanting to commit suicide is kind of new in my mind. We're 11 years old, you know, we're like fifth mm-hmm. grade ish and Kevorkian like was this cultural touchstone, you know, they're making jokes on SNL that I'm watching. And, mm-hmm. and that name, that name like pops for an 11 year old, you, you have these hard consonants. Um, so there's people making jokes about it, but then on a different channel, there's people having very serious conversations. And then his name sounded funny to a fifth grader. So for whatever reason, I was just like really into it and asking questions that I'm sure my parents weren't super happy that they were having to answer. But it was like my entrance into this world of pain and suffering that it's like it never even crossed my mind that people not only would want to kill themselves, but couldn't necessarily feel like they could go through it on their own so that a doctor was going to kill them. But doctors are supposed to be good. Mm -hmm. So I said, it just, it really was like, on my mind a lot and and not in like a contemplative deep. I'm, I wasn't some, you know, goofed out emo kid, but it was just like, (laughs) Hey man, what's, what's going on? I'm not like into death, but why is this happening? Yeah. So you teach psychology today. Is this something that comes up? Is this the topic of conversation for, uh, we don't necessarily get into assisted suicide, but we absolutely, you know, and it's just an intro to psychology 
listeners out there in the podcastosphere. Um, You're the professor of intro to psychology for yeah, freshmen. Yeah, yeah, I'm intro school. to psychology yeah. for 16 to 18 year olds. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're not digging super deep here, but we do get into the idea of mental disorders and then through different units talking about how we need to seek social relationships and we need to seek help with things. And there's very much crossover that I can get into. Suicide, stuff like that, they have a better understanding of. So they don't mm-hmm. latch on as much as when we talk about things like Munchausen's or Munchausen's by proxy and stuff like that. Yeah, bless you. Um, I think <laughs> that we'll probably see a lot more of Kevorkian's name popping up over the next several months, if I had to guess, because I remember his name coming up a lot when mm-hmm. we were kids. So I think he sort of stayed in the news. And as I remember, to the very best of my memory, disregarded court orders to stop assisting yes, people absolutely. in Yes, And that was, again, part of that whole like, you know, at 11, I feel like you have a really strong, there's right and wrong. There's no room for nuance. So yeah, it's like, yeah. well, if he's a doctor, why is he doing this bad stuff? Well, if the courts tell him not to, why is he still doing it? Yeah. And, and now there's an understanding. And it's it's still current. Assisted suicide just about every other year. Or so in some state or not, they're voting on whether or not that should be allowed. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of it being, I don't know if this is too dark sound, but like a mercy killing, you know, mm. that people just don't want anymore. And it's borderline, they argue a form of empathy, which I can absolutely understand. Mm-hmm. Again, just because it's not something I'm after now doesn't mean that I, I don't get why people would want that. If they don't have this quality of life they've always had or pictured in their lives, should they not be entitled to in that regardless of what other people think if it's their life? I, you know, I, I'm capable of nuance now, Luke. <laughs> Obviously, we're not going to answer that question here on 30 Pop because that is not our realm. But <laughs> But glad people are asking the question. So let's get on to happier things, though. So you mentioned it, February 9th of 1991. We get some new cast members on SNL, some that we oh, will yeah. really, really remember. This is, To mm-hmm. me, this feels like we're shifting into like our age of SNL. And I love the old stuff, but this was Tim Meadows and Adam Sandler joining the cast right. of Saturday Night Live. And this is... People still dump on SNL and I still watch every single one of them, but it's always, oh, it used to be funnier kind of thing. Well, it was funny when your idea of funny, you know, was a little bit different. And just because your humor evolved and theirs does, and they don't go together, that's just kind of rambling here. But you're right. This is the moment where it became ours mm-hmm. because Tim Meadows and Adam Sandler beget David Spade mm-hmm. and Chris Farley, mm-hmm. which moves into Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell, yep. There, so it's like these are – we're still not necessarily understanding all the jokes in 1991 when Sandler comes out. But that's why he was so perfect for us because he was an adult doing silly faces and yep. funny voices. He was animated, funny right. songs. Like you can – you get the joke. Even if you don't totally get the joke, you get yeah, the joke. Yeah, and when he's singing the Hanukkah song, we don't get 80% of the references. Yeah. But it's funny. It is funny. Yeah. Um, and I, it's just – Sandler and Meadows, I said, almost like kicking the door for the version of the SNL that was so prominent to us. Mm -hmm. And, oh, man, just when it's like when we're finally coming of age to to get to stay up until midnight on a Saturday night and watch. it. And and I know this is weird. Um, I my wife and I were talking yesterday about like different shows that people were allowed to watch growing up. And I didn't have very many shows I wasn't allowed to watch. Um, You know, I'm not watching HBO and Skin and Max and things like that, but, you know, friends not allowed to watch The Simpsons or not allowed to watch Pee Wee's Playhouse or, you know, Married with Children makes sense, things like that. But not only are we getting into an age where we're doing that, 
but I feel like this was around the time where some of my friends were starting to be allowed to watch the same show that I was watching. Yeah. That so you've been past, watching for years. Yeah. That I'd been, I'd been watching SNL for a couple of years, probably at that point. And so now they're understanding and now we're getting to talk about it, you know, cause that's all you could do back then. So it's the same. I was on with you in the summer, Luke, when we talked about in living color Yeah, and now I had very vivid memories of talking about in living color with James Flaherty because we were like the only two kids that were like allowed to watch it. Yeah. So it's the same thing with SNL that these skits are coming out and Sandler's doing these things that to 11 year olds are absolutely groundbreaking. And now my social circle is also seeing this. So it's like, this is, you'd show up Monday doing whatever lines you could remember and laughing about and things like yeah. that. Yeah. The other thing that I think was really resonant for folks our age with, especially Sandler, is he was a mess. Like he looked young and he looked like a slob. He did not look like, this was not some like older comedian, which is how the other guys looked to me at that point. Yeah. He he, he wasn't that polished version yeah. as much as I love like Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman was wonderful. Brilliant. But you're right. His target was by no means younger children. Yeah. And Sandler could come out and he just looked like a college dropout, like, you know, yeah. slob of a human being. And he also couldn't act to save his life. So he would break character all the time, kind of chuckling mm-hmm. and to himself, you know, he was making himself laugh, which those are still to this day, my favorite moments on Saturday Night Live. And, and I, oh, I don't watch the show religiously anymore either, but in those days I for sure did. And that was a big part of it. Yeah. And you watch those threads, you know, the, the cracking and the unprofessional from Sandler to Jimmy Fallon, you know, and we got, Horatio Sands and now Pete Davidson that we've also mentioned before Mm -hmm. that there's an edge about them of unpredictability that just makes it more engrossing that you know that things aren't necessarily going to go as planned. Most of the time they do, but there's a chance for some whimsy here. Yeah, love it. Anyway, wonderful, wonderful week in pop culture history with that addition to sort of maybe wash away the bad taste of assisted suicides. Uh, being <laughs> yeah, really yeah, we'll end on so, the positive side. Yeah, anyway, Nate, always so good to have you. Can't wait to have you back. Let's do it again very, very soon. Absolutely, Luke. I adore this. All right, man, we'll see you. Thanks, buddy. I always, always, always love having Nate on the show, and it had been way too long. Huge thanks to him for being a part of this episode, and I look forward to having him back again soon and often. Thank you as well, friends, for listening, subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing 30 Pop with your 90s-loving friends. I hope you'll join me again next week for a look back at one of the creepiest movies ever made. But for now, remember, we all forget things. That's what reminding is for. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 30 years ago that you want to share, leave a message on the answering machine at 30pop.com.